This is a Saddleback Church podcast. We are in week number two of a message series called Transferring Trust, and we're looking at the subject of trust, that we are all creatures of trust. We are wired by God to trust. You're trusting in the chair you're seated in right now. Uh, You trust in traffic, you trust in weather. Weather in Southern California has not been very trustworthy this spring. Um, this is actually about a year that Stacy and I have lived here, and people keep saying, it's not always like this in May. And so I'm believing by faith that that's true. Uh, but one of the objects that we trust in a whole lot is our phones. And I wanna start with a moment of confession. I wonder how many of you would be honest today with a show of hands to say, you are slightly addicted to your phone. Just raise your hand up high. Man, it's been an honest weekend in church. I've seen a lot of hands. Maybe even you would hold your phone in the, hand, uh, in the air just to say, I'm slightly addicted to this object. Now that's why we do things like QR codes and Saddleback app and all that because we, we know you're addicted to the phone. We'll join you in that addiction. But I also would like for you to know, um, I tried to prove a couple years ago that I'm not addicted to my phone And when we went on family vacation, I made a decision to leave my phone at home. It was a really good experiment for me. And while I left her at home, I still thought about her. And so (laughs) I'd be laying there in bed at night just wondering how her day was. Like, how did she experience the day? What, 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 What was she thinking about? How was she feeling? And I would go for walks on the beach and I would miss her. Like, I just felt her absence as I'm walking there on the beach. And actually, throughout the course of the week on family vacation, I started building a new relationship with another phone. It was Stacy's phone. So I took Stacy's phone (laughs) and I became good friends. And by the time I got home, I had a new relationship with a new phone. Now, isn't it interesting how we can have a relationship with inanimate objects, a car, a house, We have relationships with things like our phone. And the truth is, we all have a relationship with money. We all have a relationship with money. And that relationship started for us when we were little kids. Some of you, when you were kids, you had piggy banks. And you had piggy bank after piggy bank after piggy bank. Some of you still have piggy banks. Uh, Others of us, like myself, when you were a little kid, you were a spender. You used to use your money to buy candy and you wanted to give everybody else candy. That was like me as a kid. Some of you, when you were a child, you were the kid that put up the lemonade stand. Anybody the lemonade stand kid? And some of us have those kids and it's, it's great. We all have a relationship with money, but this is important to recognize. My relationship with money is impacting my relationship with God. Regardless of what my background is spiritually, regardless of where you are in your journey in relationship with God, your relationship with money is impacting your relationship with God. And Jesus made a very profound statement about God and money together. And I want you to see this, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus is speaking and he says this, no one can serve two masters. It's impossible. Maybe you've tried before to have two bosses or Perhaps you had two calendars and you experienced, you cannot have two masters, Jesus is saying. When it comes to money, you will either hate the one and love the other, you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve, listen to this, you cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is saying these two relationships are in competition with one another and one will be God and one will be subject to the other. And the question is, who's in charge? Who is the one ultimately that is the master 
of our lives. So today, my message is titled, Defining My Relationship with Money. And some of you, you've been in that moment in your life, you've heard the acronym DTR, which stands for Define the Relationship. Some of you, maybe you're dating somebody right now, and you're like, okay, today's the DTR day. Define the relationship. Defining the relationship with money is so important. Today, I want to help us define the relationship that we have with money. We're going to look today from Matthew chapter 25, and we're going to journey together through a story. It's a parable, and Jesus is teaching, and I want us to see Jesus' words. He's going to teach us about our relationship with money. He's going to illustrate the kingdom of God through a master who gives talents or a sum of money to his servants and goes on a trip. And Jesus is helping us understand how do we relate to money, how do we relate to God. In chapter 25, verse 14, Jesus says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by a story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. Now one question, whose money was it? It was his money. It wasn't their money, it was his money. He decided to trust his money to the servants while he went on a trip. Now, he gave five, everybody say five. Five bags of silver to one. He gave two, say two. Two bags of silver to another and one, say one. One, so he gave five, two, and one bags of silver to each of them and went on a trip. He divided it in proportion to their abilities, and he left on his trip. Now, if you read this story, you might be tempted, like I am, to look at the story and think, oh, well, some people got more than others. Like, one guy got five. I want to be the guy who got five. If we did that, we would miss the point of the story. The point of the story is not the amount that was given. It's what was done with what was given. And the first point I want us to see, and this is in your notes, in order to have a right relationship with money, I have to trust God as the great owner. It starts with my perspective on what's been placed in my hands. Where did it come from? And the reliability of the one that it came from. If I trust God as the great owner, it impacts the way that I relate to money. Now, we've all had moments in our lives where we had something that we relied upon and it did not work very well. And when I go through this message, I think back on 20 plus years of marriage. Actually, I think pre-marriage even, some of the challenges that we faced. And there were many seasons of our lives where we did not have reliable vehicles. And some of you will remember seasons like this. Maybe some of you are still in a season. I used to have a Plymouth Sundance. It was a red Plymouth Sundance. And it was 1995 red Plymouth Sundance. I remember this vehicle was very interesting because the door only opened about one-fifth of the way. And not only did it open about one-fifth of the way, but underneath, because the car grew up in Michigan, it was rusted out underneath. Some of you from the Midwest will know cars get rusted underneath, and they don't last as long. So it's rusted underneath. The door only opens about one-fifth of the way. And one time when Stacy was getting in the car, we were in college, still dating at the time. She's getting in the car. She's wearing wind pants. And part of this story is a consequence for wearing wind pants, but she has wind pants on. And when she's getting in the car, the car rips her wind pants all the way up because she's trying to shimmy into the door one-fifth of the way open. Anybody ever had a car like this? Part of the reason why the car was not reliable or the door was messed up was because one day I was coming home from class. I drove my car back, 
And in a hurry, I left the car, and unfortunately, I didn't put the car in park. Now, I managed to turn the car off, but it was still in drive. And because it was in drive, not only was it in drive, it was on the top of the hill. And so it was there positioned on a hill, and it got a mind of its own on that hill. And over a period of about 10 minutes, it started to inch its way down the hill. And it went further and further down the hill into a tree, sideswiped a tree, got stuck. Thank God it didn't keep going or run over a human being. But it got stuck in the tree, and so from that point forth, the door didn't open. There's more stories to this car. (laughs) I would take the car to church, and I would, like, in essence, be praying over it, almost anointing it with oil on the way to church. Like, dear Jesus, please help this car get me to church. And sometimes it would stop on the way to church and I'd just have to abandon ship. So one time I abandoned ship on the way to church, found a parking lot, wasn't like a normal parking lot, Uh, it was a dirt parking lot. So I parked the car in a dirt parking lot, went to church. By the time I got back from church, it was pouring down rain. So I had to try to start the car, Stacy was with me at the time, she was driving, and so she's starting the car, I'm behind the car as she's trying to start it, by this point it's stuck in the mud, and my whole front side is covered in mud. What's the moral of the story? The moral of the story is sometimes things are not reliable. And if you rely on the wrong thing, you find yourself really muddy. Some things in our life that we rely on, when we put our trust in them, they let us down. And the overarching narrative of the Bible is that God is trustworthy. Scripture points over and over to the character of God, both his concern and his capacity. Psalm 24, these are three verses in your notes that I want you to see. These verses highlight the character of God. And every time you see something in these verses that demonstrate what God is like and his capacity, I want you to underline or circle the words. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, from Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him, for he laid the earth's foundation on the seas and built it on the ocean depths. So when we walk outside and we see the trees of the forest and we go in the ocean and we see the water, we're at the beach, all of it was created by God. It was all made with a spoken word. The earth and the Lord belongs to, the earth and everything in it belongs to the Lord. Psalm 50 says, the animals of the forest are mine and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. If this were written in the 21st century, it might say, I own the Cadillacs on a thousand car lots. He is, he is the great owner. I know every bird on the mountains and all the animals of the field are mine. There's not a sparrow that falls from the sky that he doesn't know about. And even as Jesus would say, if he watches over the lilies of the valley and cares for the sparrows that fly, how much more is he concerned for you? So he is capable, he's reliable. And James tells us in James 1.16, it says, so don't be misled, dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father. He's a father who wants to bless his kids. He created all the lights in the heavens. All I wanna do in this series, more than anything else, is convince you at the core of your being that God is able to be trusted with every area of your life. He's able to be trusted with your relationships, your finances, your future. He is trustworthy. And so much of our stress, so much of the anxiety that we feel when it comes to finances 
is because we trust in something other than God. So the relationship begins when I trust God as the great owner. And when I understand this, it leads me to understand not only do I trust him as the great owner, but I'm responsible. And there's an accountability for what God places into my hands. Jesus tells us the servant who received the five bags of silver, he took that and invested it. He took the money and earned five more. And the servant who got the two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, the master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. And I want you to write this down. God expects a return on his investment. And this, this passage is highlighting the stewardship question. What do I do with what God places into my hands? When we stand before God, there will be two questions. What did you do with the message of salvation, the message of Jesus, and what did you do with what I placed into your hands, the message of stewardship? So point number two is I wanna train myself to be a good steward. So everything that God places into my hands, he gives to me as an entrustment to be a steward over it. And what happens so often in our relationship with God and money, we get it mixed up. So we trust in money and we try to train God. It's like, well, money will solve my problems. God, I need you to do this. I need money to solve my problems, I trust in it, and God, if you don't solve it, if you don't give me the money I need, I'm gonna be in a predicament. But the scripture's pointing to, actually, God is to be trusted, and I'm to be trained to use money as a tool. And this is a lifelong journey. I have in mind some of you who are in your 20s right now, and you're just post out of college. Stories tell us, or stats tell us, that, that People think about money more than anything in life, studies show us. Aside from one season, 18 to 22, they don't think about money, they think about their love life more than anything else. And if you're in that age group, maybe that's your reality. But part of the reason why you're not thinking about it is because your parents are still thinking about it for you. But there's a point after about 22, 23, 24, where it all shifts and we have to become adults. And it's a very hard process. I remember in our marriage at 21 years old, so Stacy and I got married at 21. Uh, at that point, we didn't know how to balance a checkbook. We, neither of us had jobs when we got married. We kind of joke, when Stacy and I got married, her name changed from Stacy Joy Cloud to Stacy Cloud Wood, and we say she dropped her joy when she got married to me. <laughs> On the same day, she gave her parents back the debit card and here she and I moved to grad school, and it was, it was painful the first few years of marriage, especially when it came to our finances. There were many moments where Stacy would go to the grocery store and she'd take a calculator. We had a little envelope with the cash we needed to buy our groceries, and she would punch numbers. And there were times where she would be crying as she was putting back avocados and bananas and rice and beans. You know, it's like, go straight to the ramen, baby. It was a tough season for us. And... I remember about that time, Stacy and I were getting close to graduating from seminary, and we went home for the holidays, and my brother-in-law was there. Uh, he was about five years, or still is, about five years older than me, so Stacy's sister's husband, and he, he's like, did everything right, like in courtship, he asked for Stacy's sister's hand the right way, he was way more mature and responsible than I was, and I remember one time we're at home with Stacy's family, 
And he says, Andy, let's sit down at the kitchen table. I need to have a talk with you. So we sit down, and my brother-in-law says to me, in love, with great intent, he said, Andy, you're not doing a good job leading your wife. Um, You're actually, I heard this story about her crying in the grocery store. It's time for you to grow up and lead your wife spiritually. Lead your wife financially. Take responsibility at a new level. And I remember the conversation walking away from it. It stung, but at the same time, it was like God was trying to get my attention in that season. At the time, we were in debt because of our undergrad, because of my school. And he said to me in the conversation, Andy, I want to challenge you to believe that over the next year, God could help you get rid of all those student loans, that you could be free financially. So I went back from that conversation. We went through a course called Financial Peace. Uh, We started working on our debt. We made a decision that every dollar that came through our hands, other than the money that we gave back to God and the money to pay to school, everything that we could do to pay off that debt, we'd pay it off. And for the next year, we just pounded away at that debt. 10 months in, uh, we had a little over $1,000 remaining in our student loan. And one of my friends handed me an envelope and he said, I've been watching you, I've been seeing your faithfulness, I wanna give you this check to completely eliminate the debt. And God performed an incredible miracle on our behalf as a family. I tell you these stories because some of you are in that kind of a season right now. And the perspective of training myself to be a steward, it's a biblical mindset that over time we're growing these muscles. And this is true not just for people in their 20s. There are times when you're in your 30s, 40s, and 50s, and these habits, they've been reinforced over time. That sometimes when when we build these habits, we're not building our habits based upon what the Bible teaches, but we're building our habits based upon culture. And we've got people in our lives that maybe they drive cars they shouldn't be driving, they live in houses they shouldn't be living in, they're living above their means, and we're trying so hard to keep up with them. And at the same time, we find so much stress, pressure, and anxiety that God doesn't intend for us to carry. When we go back to the Bible and we see God's framework, there is a framework for our finances that includes trusting God as the source, but it includes training myself as a steward. Proverbs 21, 20 gives us a very clear illustration. It says, precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's house, but a fool devours everything that they have. It's like, if this represents all of what's in my hands, 100% of my income, what the proverb says is that a fool goes and eats it all. That was for anybody that was asleep. Um, But a fool eats it all and there's nothing remaining. So a biblical principle is to live below my means. It's to live with margin. Proverbs 21, five says, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. And there are moments for us as a family where we made difficult decisions. I remember one time in seminary, we bought a house. This was like that one season with the economy where housing was not a good investment. And for a several year period of time, you could get approved for a loan like paying a a, a mortgage that's 70% of your income. It's just so crazy to look back and think on it. But we were able to purchase a house, a house that we never should have been able to buy. And we had very little margin. We made a decision, because we couldn't sell the house for what we bought it for at the time. We made a decision to lease the house out to cover our mortgage and adjust our lifestyle so that we could have margin. Sometimes you have to do crazy, sacrificial things 
to live according to biblical principles. But always, in the end, there is a blessing that God gives when we trust him and we do it his way. Proverbs eleven twenty eight says, trust your money and down you go, but the godly will flourish like leaves in spring. So here's a question I'd like for you to ponder. If you were hiring a money manager to manage your money, and that money manager managed money the way that you manage money, would you hire you? Well, there's a little bit of an audible gasp with that question. And perhaps some of us, if we're honest, we wouldn't hire ourselves the way that we manage money. I wanna spend the remaining time that we have practically to look at how do we switch that narrative in our lives? How do we become trustworthy? And it begins with us treating money as a tool. To treat money as a helpful tool that comes from God. Matthew 25, verse 16, Jesus says, the servant who received the five bags of silver, he took it, invested it, earned five more. The servant with two bags took it, went to work, earned two, two more. The servant who received the one bag dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. Now notice the response. He says, the servant with one bag of silver came back and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man. And notice his perspective on the master. He sees the master as one who's trying to prevent joy, take away joy. He's a harsh man from his perspective. So as a result of that, I took it. I took what you gave me. You harvest crops you don't plant. Uh, crops you don't, you gather crops you didn't cultivate. And I took it, I was afraid I would lose your money so I hid it in the earth. Now notice the fear that is driving this response. So often when it comes to finances, fear is what drives our actions. And if underneath the fear, if we can get to the core of that, what we're really afraid of, to wrestle through that question, that fear is driven by our perspective of God. If I'm completely agnostic or atheist, it's up to me. I remember one time being in the lobby at church and a guy walks up to me and says, I'm a self-made man. And it's like, well, how, how, how'd you make it? And he's like, well, my hands, I'm, I'm smart, I'm intelligent, I worked hard. And then you gotta say, well, who gave you the brain? Who gave you those hands? It all came from God. But if I believe it's up to me, there's so much fear, there's so much anxiety that I have to live with. But if there is a God who's sovereign, if there is a God who is good, and he's entrusted me as his child, he's given me a stewardship, I can live with confidence, I can live with peace. And I have to recognize when it comes to money, this perspective is so important. Money does not care. Money doesn't care if it's in the hands of the guy who's generous or greedy. Money does whatever that person tells it to do. Money is an amoral tool. And there are extreme responses sometimes when it comes to money. You know, some people will say, money is the root of all evil. That's my preacher voice for you right there. And that's not true. The Bible does not say the money, money is the root of all evil. What the Bible says is the love of money is the root of all evil. So there are extreme mindsets that oftentimes influence the way that we think about provision. And one of those extreme mindsets is what we'll call a prosperity mindset. I want you to write this down in your notes. It's a prosperity mindset. And the mindset says, well, if I'm walking with God and I'm doing it God's way, I'll have a lot of money. And perhaps you've even seen people on TV, like preachers on TV, they'll say things like, well, I got this bottle of anointing oil. 
that I want to send your direction for a gift of $5,000, get some anointing oil from the Holy Land. This Holy Land anointing oil, when you put it on your forehead and your car will run, you'll never have a problem again. Have a need, sow a seed. And you're like, okay. Maybe, maybe you've seen that before. It's like prosperity. Okay, this is the kind of stuff I do for my kids at home. Thank you very much. Now, on the other hand, there's what we'll call a, a poverty mindset. So you have a prosperity mindset, but also a poverty mindset. And a poverty mindset is like, well, you know, we, we, if, if we're walking with God, we really shouldn't have anything. Like, we should give it all away. We should be, we should be poor. We should, we should, I mean, let's, get, let's stop serving Cheerios to the kids in, in children's ministry because God wants us to be poor. And the, that, that mindset so often leads to a tremendous amount of guilt that people feel. So one over here is greed with prosperity. Over here is guilt. So every time I have, I feel guilty for what God gave to me. On the other hand, there's a third alternative, and we will call this a provision mindset. It's the mindset that trusts in God first as the source and sees myself as a steward and sees money as a tool to build a godly life. You know, a dollar can go into somebody's hands and buy drugs. A dollar can go into somebody's hands to be squandered on their sin and selfish lifestyle. But a dollar can also be used to drill a well in Africa. A dollar can also be used to build a peace center that blesses communities all over the world. A dollar can be used to extend the love of Jesus to the ends of the earth and accomplish the Great Commission. It will take on the character trait of the person's hands that it's in. Proverbs 11 or 10 verse 16 says the earnings of the godly, the earnings of the godly enhance their lives, but evil people squander their money on sin. So a righteous person, a dollar in that person's hands can accomplish great things. This paradigm has been so helpful for me to look at finances through this angle. Sometimes we can assume with prosperity that rich means righteous, or we can assume with poverty that rich means poor, but it's not true. You have people who are wealthy, who are godly. You have people who are wealthy, who are evil. So this paradigm, I want you to see and write this down. There are righteous people who are rich, and there are unrighteous people who are rich. There are people who have great wealth and they're greedy. There are people who have great wealth and they're generous. There are people who have very little. There are some that are listening to my voice today. You are in poverty-stricken areas, but you are walking in obedience to God. Think of the widow's might. This is righteous and poor. And there are some people that have very little in this earth, and they are evil with the money that they have, and they constantly are living with fear, anxiety, and greed. All across, there, there, there's a continuum and God is trying to cultivate, it's not about the amount you have, it's not about the amount that is placed into our hands, it's what we do, it's our heart that God is after. He is after a heart that is being trained and using money as a tool to accomplish his purposes. And Jesus is giving us this illustration to help us see that God is the one who entrusts to us who can be trusted. Proverbs 18.10 says, the name of the Lord is a strong fortress. The godly run to him, yet the rich think of their wealth as a strong defense. They imagine it to be a high wall of safety. And as we wrap up, I want you to see these few verses that are so important. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, 
You've given me five bags of silver to invest. I've earned five more. The master was full of praise. And he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Now, when you think of this story, um, there's an image that comes to mind for me personally. And it's kind of like this cake. I want you to imagine for just a moment, this cake represents everything that's been placed into your hands. So it represents 100% of your income, of your assets. This cake is divided into 10 pieces. Now I can do this illustration a clean way or a messy way. Which way would you prefer? I think I heard messy. Now, our whole production team wants me to do it the clean way because they can eat it if I do it the clean way. But because I did over it, they probably won't eat it anyways. But as you imagine this cake as your income, the natural tendency is to start divvying out the cake. And you think, well, there are certain things I've got to take care of. And the first thing I've got to take care of is Netflix because that's priority. I cannot... I cannot handle not having my Netflix. And then afterwards, there's you know the HBO Max over here, and then also I've got my new car payment, gotta take care of that. My Tesla X right here, gotta take care of that. In addition to that, I just got solar panels because I got a Tesla X, so I need to take care <laughs> of those solar panels. And now on top of that, I've gotta go to Cabo in the summer because weather's nice there. And then I gotta make sure that my kid's school is paid for, maybe get them some new kicks, some Jordans on top of that. I, uh, what else do I need? I got my house payment. It's getting really messy. I'm running out of space here. I have very little left in here. You could still eat this later if you wanted to. <laughs> Try to get it all on the plate. And you know, I need some new, I need some new clothes here. Um, on top of that, I still need to eat, of course. Don't forget about that. Cake's really good to eat. And then maybe I'll save a little bit for the future, for retirement. And then at the end of it, what I'll do is I'll give a little bit back to God. This is for God. God, this is for you. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for dying <laughs> on a cross for my sins. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that you've placed inside of me. You've been so good. I just wanted to tip you at the end of all of it and say thank you. Now before I get struck by lightning, I wanna be very clear, this is not a biblical perspective. A better perspective, Stacy and I found out about this. I'm not gonna lick my fingers, because Stacy and I are going on a 20 moon soon, but um, all right. So here's a plan that's super helpful, called a 10-10-80 plan, it's in your notes. And this 10-10-80 plan was something Stacy and I discovered uh, when we went through that financial peace course. And it's a simple plan. It starts with trusting God first. So the first 10% of my income I give back to God. It's never a question. Now I wanna say as I lay that out, first of all, from my heart to yours, this is not about what we want from you. This message series is all about what we want for you. So if you're here and you're thinking, oh this church just wants my money, Go find another local church that you believe in and, and give, it's, it's about your heart. And I'm, I'm so grateful, I want you to hear this, I am so grateful that when I was a little kid, I remember watching my dad write tithe checks. And it was always so confusing, why would you write a check like that and just give it away? And my dad taught me as a little kid, we trust God first. It was never 
It was never a question. We've had challenges financially, but there's never been a season where it was a question, do we put God first? Last week, there were 3,000 of you, 3,000 plus, that said, I'm gonna trust God for 90 days and put him first. That's a huge step. And there are many of you, maybe you took that step to start giving for the first time. Some of you to say, I'm gonna start tithing the first 10%. But that priority puts everything else into perspective. It changes my whole life when God is first place. When he gets the first tenth of my income, it goes back to him. Some of you today, you, you might take that step. You, you were here last week, maybe you heard that challenge, but you didn't say, I'm gonna do it. And there are different levels. You could trust God starting giving, you can trust God to tithe. Some of you, maybe God's gonna call you to go beyond the tithe, but that anchor is the foundation. God first, putting God first, trusting him as the source. Now the second one is to save for the future. And what I wanna do here is I, I wanna recognize, I don't want to be the fool that devours everything he has. I would rather walk around with vans and a car with 175,000 miles, that's how much our Honda, our Honda Odyssey has on it, 175,000 miles. And I just keep saying, thank you Jesus, it's still working. And I would, I would rather live with margin and drive an old car than be driving around in anxiety. Now some of you, you've got awesome cars, God bless you. The point that I'm making is not about the car that you're driving, it's that I, I always w am willing to adjust my lifestyle to live between below my means. I do not wanna live with that stress and anxiety. If I have debt, there have been seasons where we had debt, and that was coming out of college, there was, there was a debt that we had. I took that 10% of saving for the future, knocked out the debt, eliminated it, so that then I could save for the future and look towards the future. If I take that money and I immediately send it out of my bank account, I never see it, I'm not tempted to spend it. If it's there, I'm tempted to spend it. So I just send it away and say, okay, it's like a bird, I'm not gonna see for a long time, it's gone. And then the rest of the 80% with wisdom, God, give me the wisdom to live on what remains. Give me the wisdom to use this money to build a godly lifestyle that blesses others, serves my family, cares for my kids. And this 10-10-80 plan is it's a proven plan that so many people have used. Now, you could manipulate Bible verses and say this is the Bible's plan. It's based on biblical principles that God gives us in his word that when we live them out, it's a plan that blesses your life. Some of you, you're at a place, listen, some of you are at a place where you're saying, you know what, I need more help in this area, or I wanna grow to a deeper level in managing what God's placed into my hands. Our team wants to help you, and we actually have a seminar that's coming up, a money management seminar that we can help you. You'll see today when you take next steps, it's happening next weekend or the week after, you can take next steps, get connected, that money management seminar will break down. In addition to this, when you take the trust challenge, our team has written an ebook that comes to you that describes more of what we're talking about today. And I wanna encourage you, God is trustworthy. He is able to be trusted. And he is inviting us into his joy, his peace, with him as first place. And I wanna finish, this is the last verse, as the band comes forward and we, Close in prayer. That, chapter 25, verse 21 says, the master was full of praise, and he said, well done, 
my good and faithful servant. I want to hear those words from the master's heart. I want to hear the words from God that is about my faithfulness in response to what he's done for me. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Don't you want to hear that voice from God, well done, good and faithful servant? Well done, you've been faithful. There's joy I want you to experience. And it wasn't about money. It wasn't about the sum that was given. It was about the size of the heart. It was the response back to the master. That's what God cares about more than anything is your heart. He wants you to know him. He wants you to experience the joy of friendship and relationship with him. He is trustworthy. And I wanna invite you today to trust him. Some of you today, the trust step for you is not to start with your finances. The trust step is to start with salvation. And some of you, you've never taken that step. That's the most important question that we'll get. It's the question of, what did you do with the message of salvation? That Jesus, the one who gave this parable, would die on a cross for our sins. He would conquer the grave, God in human flesh. And now today, he is ruling and reigning as the king of heaven, the king of all kings, and the Lord of all lords. And he is returning. And it doesn't matter how faithful I am with this cake on this side of eternity. If I don't have relationship with God, that most important step, I want to secure that. That's the most important decision that you will ever make. And if you have not trusted God for salvation, I want to invite you to do that today. By faith in Jesus, the Son of God who died on a cross for your sins. The scripture says, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf in order that we might become the righteousness of God. That means all of his righteousness is given to us when we trust in him. Forgiveness from sin, freedom spiritually, relationship with God, and the promise of eternity with him the moment that I put my trust in him. I wanna invite you today, and in just a moment, if you've never made that decision, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to respond and receive the gift of salvation. Others of you, perhaps that's not your decision. You've already trusted in God, and God is saying today, I want you to trust in me and my faithfulness at a deeper level. Perhaps the way you would do that is by taking the 90-day trust challenge. Some of you, you'll see when you take your next steps today, you scan that QR code. There are different parts of that 90-day trust challenge. Some of you, it's just to start trusting God with giving. Others of you, it's to begin tithing, but that step of trusting God, this lifelong journey, just experimenting for 90 days, I'm confident that if you show God and you say to him, I wanna trust you, he will prove himself faithful. I wanna invite you right now as we close our eyes and bow our heads to respond to the work that the Spirit of God is doing in you and to say yes to him. If you've never opened your heart to receive the gift of salvation, you can do that right now in this moment just by saying, God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross. I believe that you rose again from the dead. I surrender my heart to you and I trust in you for my salvation. And if you prayed that prayer in just a moment, we're gonna ask you to let us know that you made that decision. Others of you today, your decision is to trust in God your resources that he's placed into your hands. And today I wanna invite you just in this moment to say, God, help me 
to trust you more. Oh, for the grace to trust him more. God, thank you that you can be trusted with every area of our lives. Help us to be found faithful before you. Thank you, Jesus, that you've made a way, that you've paid the price, that there is hope, power of the spirit of God is in us when we trust in you and help us to live obedient to your commands. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to this weekend message from Saddleback Church. If you like this, please consider leaving a rating or review for this podcast. The Saddleback Church Weekend Message Podcast is a part of the Saddleback family of podcasts. Visit saddleback.com slash podcasts or search for Saddleback Church in your favorite podcasting app to see more great podcasts from Saddleback. For more weekend message resources, visit saddleback.com slash message resources.